It's a fantastic day in the wonderful world of wealth tech. Welcome to episode 70 of the Wealth Management Today podcast. Uh, this is our best of 2020 episode, part one. You're probably wondering why are we doing a best of episode? It's only October. Well, you know, considering the crazy events that have swept over the world this year, we thought it would be prudent to compile our annual best of episode a little early, if you know what I mean, just in case. And uh, we had a really incredible lineup of guests this year, uh, up till this point in the year. And it was difficult for the team, uh, the It's on Wealth Tech team, to decide who made the cut. We uh, brainstormed, we went back and forth, and we pulled out who we felt was the best uh, guests for this part one uh, episode. And we'll do a part two probably in January of, of next year for the end of this year. And we pulled an interesting clip from each episode. So you're getting a compilation that is jam-packed full of useful information, trends, and opinions on the state of the wealth management industry. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz. I run a consulting firm called Ezra Group. We're experts in everything related to wealth tech. Now, this is the part where I usually give our standard marketing pitch, but I'm going to go off script so I can give, get in a plug for our market research team that has been growing by leaps and bounds, doing a fantastic job led by our head of research, Gene Sullivan. If you are running a fintech firm looking to expand into, the, into a new client segment, either with a new product or an upgrade to an existing product, what you are going to need is data and insights on the client segments you're targeting. You need to know what those prospective clients are looking for, the size of the obtainable market, revenue potential, the main competitors in that space, and any functionality gaps in your product that need to be addressed. You can get all of this and more from the Ezra Group research team. We've been doing it for a long time. We have a long track record uh, working with fintechs just like your firm. So if you're on the executive team at a growing fintech vendor, contact us right now by going to our website, ezragroupllc.com and clicking on the schedule a complimentary strategy session button at the bottom of the homepage. We're looking forward to hearing from you. And before I get to the episode, I want to remind you to subscribe uh, to this episode on iTunes and wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a five-star review and share this episode on your social media network so your friends and uh, co-workers can listen to it as well. First up on this Best of Wealth Management Today 2020 episode is Jay Palter of Jay Palter Social Advisory, a leading fintech influencer who helps business leaders engage through social networks. Jay and I go back a bit. Uh, we met through the conference circuit in wealth management, which I'm hoping it picks up again at some point so we can all see each other in person again. But in this clip, Jay talks about three types of capital and how to leverage them to get the most out of your social networks. And if you ask me time, I highly recommend Jay's article uh, called 13 Tips for Mastering the LinkedIn Algorithm. And if you want to find it, just do a search for Jay Palter, P-A-L-T-E-R, and how to, uh, how to use LinkedIn. You'll get, you'll get right to it, top of Google. Uh, so here we go with the clip. What you're saying is that the, the tools, I mean, the outward appearance of the tools look the same, but how it works underneath is changing all the time. Yeah, I mean, how, how, uh, yeah, so functionality is going to change and the tool of the day is going to change and some of the tactical things we might do are going to change. But I'm also, I'm also trying to emphasize that, that there's human, 
there's human principles, there's psychology principles. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're good to people, if you help people, if you are kind to people online, if you're generous in the time you invest in them, in helping them, uh, you know, helping promote their content, helping engage in conversation on posts that they make, that, that is kind of universal. If you're generally focusing on helping people that it's good for you in a business networking setting, you get attention back when you give attention. And those are universals regardless of what platform you're on in social media, regardless of whether you're in an offline setting or an online setting even, it's still, it's still valuable to pay attention to people. Yeah, that always reminds me of one of the first books I ever read uh, in business was uh, Dale Carnegie, how to, uh, how to win friends and influence people. And it's, you, if you want people to be interested in you, you need to be interested in them. And it's hard for some people to realize because I think in general, humans are narcissistic. Uh, not all humans, of course, but I think that it's human nature to think about yourself. Uh, it's hard to realize that you need to give back and, and, uh, and help someone else. And then, you know, it's, you can also attribute it to karma. You know, it, it, what goes around comes around. Well, for sure. And I, th I think we've also been, social networks have been packaged and delivered to us and, and, and translated to us as these platforms for marketing and advertising and selling. And I think, I mean, they certainly can be used in those ways and there's, there's nothing wrong with, with looking at them from that point of view. But, but I think we do that sometimes at the exclusion of recognizing they're also social platforms that, I mean, they're called social networks for a reason. People have relationships with each other on them. I mean, look in the world today, you know, people are going online to date more and more, find spouses and find partners. Um, so it's, it should be no surprise that we, we should look at digital social networks as places where we can discover new people that might be important to our business. Maybe they're employees in the future. Maybe they're just partners. Maybe they're influencers in the space. I mean, we, we need to recognize that social networks are places where we should go to build relationships that are central to our businesses. I mean, every business as I know, a social network is a really huge part of, of the business. I mean, I often use a Venn diagram that looks at the three types of capital that you need to achieve ROI and succeed in your business. There's financial capital, uh, which we understand is investments and assets. There's human capital, which are employees and knowledge and skill. And there's social capital, which are relationships and, 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 and long-term engagements and, and just real social capital that people feel goodwill towards you and your business and will and we'll try to help you, will want to help you. Uh, that social networks are social capital. I missed that. Say that again. Yeah. So, so the conclusion of that is that social networks are really for building this this type of capital that is essential for your business to succeed. The social capital. Next up is Bill Capuzzi, CEO of Apex Clearing. Since Bill took over Apex in 2015, the disruptive custodian has scaled up from processing just 10,000 new accounts per month to 10,000 per day. It's more than a 20 or 30x increase. Apex specializes in working with firms that are leading innovators in wealth management technology, such as Betterment, Robinhood, Thinkorswim, and TradeKing. Uh, I call this clip the next frontier of financial well-being, and this is a broad industry trend that we're seeing, and it's called a number of different things. It's called financial wellness by some firms. Here, uh, Bill's calling it financial well-being. It's also, we used to call it holistic wealth management, and it's all driven by the realization that advisors need to know more about their clients' financial lives all the way through, not just the assets, but liabilities, expenses, insurance, they need a full picture. So let's hear what Bill has to say about that. 
why do you think that is? So uh, is this through your, I guess, because of all the different <clears throat> disrupting fin disruptive fintechs you have who, and this is something I've seen, which is, I think is, you know, is very um, uh, contrarian to how everyone predicted. Everyone yeah. predicted, oh, when the, we, the market goes down, all these robo-advisors, everyone's going to flee. Instead, they yeah. did the opposite happen. Everyone, you know, embraced them and rushed to them. Why do you think that is? Well, I think, first of all, you know, think about what you've been doing over the last month, right? You've been tethered to your, your computer and tethered to your phone. Uh, and I think people have very quickly adapted to this new world, this new mm -hmm. normal. That's where we started the conversation. Um, that's number one. Number two is, I think, you know, use the word before frictionless. Um, you have a phone in your hands. It's now close to free, right? The ability to open an account. Well, let's just talk about Apex. Open an account with no paperwork, uh, be able to fund in seconds, get that whole process done. And oh, by the way, work with somebody that um, is doing it, quote unquote, free or close to free. Um, you know, it just creates opportunities for folks. And so, you know, we saw, like I said, it's a total shock to me to add that many accounts in the last month. That was the second largest number of accounts. When was the first? So, so uh, when Robinhood uh, announced that they were going to be adding crypto, this is almost two years ago, we opened mm -hmm. 905,000 accounts. Uh, in, in 2018. Uh, so this is the second, um, the average, give you some sense, um, we average somewhere between 200 and 300,000 accounts a month. Uh, so you can get a sense of how much, uh, you know, how much increased velocity there's been over the course of the month. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, everyone is seeing huge increases. Look, the other thing I would say is, and I think this, this goes to the broader advisor world, is um, it's not just frictionless in terms of open accounts and gimmicky around it's free. Um, I think, um, to your point, the popular belief was that everyone was going to run away from robos, mm -hmm. run away from you know, sort of fintechs because there was no one to call. And uh, very quietly over the course of the last two years, um, these platforms have been able to connect with their constituents on an electronic basis. Mm -hmm. um, the ways, you know, I'll give you my, my personal experience. I have, a, I have an advisor who's at LPL. Mm -hmm. um, he's tried to get a hold of me and my wife to talk about the impact of the market on our portfolio. Mm -hmm. I know the impact of the portfolio, <laughs> right? right? I don't need to talk to him. Um, whereas some of our clients who I have accounts with have been able to connect with me in the ways that work for me, whether that's mm -hmm. over Twitter, uh, whether that's, you know, within their app, uh, over email. Um, and I think it's starting to play out. And I think that's, you know, the tailwind there is going to continue to work to their advantage. Mm -hmm. And I frankly think it's something that these, you know, the broader advisor world has to you know, sit up and take notice. This isn't about accounts that just don't have any money. Mm -hmm. It's really around how our you know, world is going to continue to evolve. Uh, I think this is a great accelerator for how things have already been evolving over the course of the last couple of years. Next up is Urs Bolt. Urs is a Swiss wealth tech and reg tech expert with over 30 years of experience, mainly in the areas of risk and regulation, wealth management, investors banking, and banking technologies. Urs is regularly ranked as one of the top influencers in wealth tech, fintech, reg tech, and blockchain as well. 
Now, I know Urs focuses a lot on private banking, but in this clip, he talks about ways to bring wealth management technology to mass affluent investors. You mentioned digital transformation is a cultural challenge. Yes. You touched a little bit on that. So can you talk about the differences? You know, obviously, we, we understand that in uh, other countries that were lagging economically, that was or lagging technologically for many decades, that, that turns into an advantage for them since they can leapfrog over the old tech right to the new tech when it's available. Like in Africa, they're all leap, they leap right to mobile phones. They skipped all the crap in between. Uh, so do you see that as being an advantage and how will that shake out when it comes to digital wealth? Uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's an advantage in one way, but what I also see when traveling to many countries in the, especially in Asia, but I was also in Nigeria last year, um, is that they lack the depth and the, the breadth of the service, the capabilities, and also the traditions, how to manage wealth, you know, which, which has a long-term view. So I see there is, that's why there's probably a huge need also for established private banks and bankers, which can, you know, it's their profession. That's why obviously private banks out of Switzerland in, in Asia are very successful offering such services because there are many aspects playing into it. But we always talk about the upper 1% of wealth. And what I really fascinated and interested in is to see how do you actually serve the growing middle class, which, which are not even touched because the incumbents with their processes they can simply not serve them profitably. And that's, I think, where the whole the worlds will collide, right? They will come together. Platforms will meet the traditional way of doing private banking. And I think that's something which will be part of our conversations for the next five to 10 years at least. Hmm. Interesting. Another thing you mentioned uh, was Europe is lagging. So... Do you think Europe uh, that Europe being lagging is a temporary or is it something that they will uh, eventually catch up or they will never catch up and then U.S. and Asian firms will come in and take over the, the wealth business? At least additionally. Um, I mean, they're lagging in a way from the tech platforms. Because don't, don't forget, we don't have an Amazon here. We had, some, uh, we had some players out of Sweden, which became then uh, U.S. platforms. Like I think it was Skype, right? And it was uh, something else. And we have some in the fintech space, like TransferWise. So we have some unicorns, some uh, more than a billion dollar worth of um, uh, fintechs. And in the wealth tech space, I, I don't really see that. So I, I think it will be, it, it will merge in a way. So I think we need mm -hmm. to understand that platforms are the new way of doing things and sharing um, resources, risks, and maybe do the mundane tasks via shared platforms, use them as a service and not in the typical sense, which many already do, like business process outsourcing. So that's, I'm talking from the private bank side. And I think that might then lead to um, more platform-based also sharing intelligence maybe, and, and you also know that in Europe, it's also more difficult in terms of data privacy. So um, there's much more challenging, which is uh, 
trend across the world, but Europe was first with a more stringent data privacy law, uh, general data protection uh, regulation, GDPR code. And I think that that also needs to be considered. But I think in the, in the, in the space, in wealth management, um, I mean, this is anyway a huge part of being the trusted mm. advisor built on security, security data. All of the regular listeners of this podcast know that one of my favorite charities is the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation. The Invest in Others Charitable Foundation is a charity that amplifies the efforts of financial advisors who are giving back to their communities, uh, both local communities and communities around the globe. Invest in Others provides a platform for those advisors, employees, and their firms to increase awareness, visibility, and funding to their favorite nonprofits. Over the past 14 years, Invest in Others has given more than $3 million to 300-plus charities across a variety of causes, including health and wellness, education and youth programs, arts and culture, uh, hunger and poverty prevention, military, veterans, and more. For more information, please visit investinothers.org or follow Invest in Others on your favorite social media platforms, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. And the next clip is from Lita Sanka, the former CTO of Cetera Financial. Lita now runs her own consulting firm called Strategic Technology Consulting, and she has an executive coaching business, and she's also an author. She wrote a book called How to Lead a Corporate Spinoff, The Tech Leader's Survival Guide to a Strategic Divestiture. This clip came from our Winners of Wealth Tech episode with Lita, uh, where we dive into uh, the career path of industry leaders like yourself. Uh, if you like this clip, you should definitely check out the rest of Leader's episode uh, on the blog. So, so where, where we're talking about uh, Satera, and you mentioned uh, Valerie Brown, who's a wonderful, wonderful person, really super smart. At least, uh, you know, I, I was lucky enough to work with her a little bit or work for, work for her as a consultant on a, on a, on a project. Um, so got to know her. And when you said she told you, Lita, that it's a marathon, not a sprint, but you didn't listen and you got burned out. Yeah. So what did you do to get unburned out? How did you, re, re, you know, recharge and refresh yourself? Yeah, we well, you have to fast forward a number of years. Um, so I worked really closely with Valerie and was an executive at Cetera for about six and a half years. Ultimately, uh, in the history of Cetera, uh, there was a, uh, a sale of a company from Lightyear Capital to uh, RCS mm -hmm. Capital. At some point, I like to tell the story too. It's more about myself, Craig. So I'm sorry. The whole about thing is that. about you, Lita. Come on. Yeah. No, I was not. I was not actually excited about my work anymore. Mm -hmm. We were not spending money. I was not working on the types of projects I wanted. One of my one of my paths to burnout was to hire my successor who I loved. It was Mook Meta. We got along terrific. Um, but it just wasn't feeling the same passion and energy that I had when I was at the helm and leading the organization through significant transformation. And uh, so I was out on Friday afternoon. I was out walking on the beach because uh, I did ultimately get my house on the beach in California. All and right. I was on mile seven of a 10-mile walk because I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I decided right there that I was going to retire. So I was 49 and, you know, 
I wasn't the only one who was involved with me making decision. that kind of decision. Kind of worked <laughs> the deep mills with my partner at the time, and I went in a Monday and I and I retired. And so I took a couple years and sort of went on a soul searching. You know, really within a, another week, I I happened to um, be at a Deepak Chopra event, and he was teaching us how to meditate. And I had. Uh, whether it was the euphoria of letting go of work or the responsibility or whatever it was, I uh, had a overwhelming spiritual experience at the Deepak Chopra Center in California and decided that meditation was like the secret mm. way of life. And um, what had I been missing out on all this time? And so I ultimately spent about a year and a half um, traveling around the world. I went to visit a lot of different countries. Uh, meditated my way around. I became an instructor for Deepak Chopra to teach meditation to other people. And I started retraining myself in terms of um, being executive and a life coach. Uh, and then ultimately, I stumbled across how do you um, grow your own consulting company. Hmm. And I went to a workshop. And uh, the secret to growing your own consulting company at that time was that you have to write a book. Right? <laughs> what are you what are you an expert yeah. at? And at this point in time, you know, the advisor group had called me up and I had done some consulting work for them as they were in the process of spinning off from AIG. So I was able to go over there and leverage, you know, a lot of the skill sets and the things that I learned at Cetera. And I did it a second time, but now as a consultant. And so when I'm in this workshop and they're like, if you want to be a consultant, you have to be an expert at something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm not an expert at anything. You know, I'm just IT lady. And then ultimately what I figured out is that I am an expert at running huge, large transformational mm -hmm. projects. I know how to do it. I know how to bring structure. I know how to bring like order to the chaos. Mm -hmm. And I know how to lead a lot of people through that. And so ultimately I decided I would write the book, mm -hmm. you know, to just give myself a little credibility mm -hmm. and, and some confidence. I guess yeah. confidence is the thing you yeah, need to tell that. You know, no matter how successful you think you are, some people, maybe everybody, I don't know, mm -hmm. you know, there's always that little voice that could nag you in the back that says, am I, am I doing everything right? Am I doing the best mm -hmm. I can? So ultimately, um, to answer a long story, uh, I retooled myself, I started consulting, I traveled, mm -hmm. and I really, the spiritual experience that I had at the Deepak Chopra Center changed my values overnight. So I literally was a different person. Mm. And it took me a little while to get my, get my sea legs back, mm. I'll call it, so to speak. And I've recently started working with Advisor Group again uh, as a consultant, helping them with, with a large technology transformation project mm. that they have going on. And for someone who's retired, I'm sure, surely working a lot. Yeah, I noticed that. So I still, I still like to hang on to that label, like, oh, I'm retired. I'm I could, I'm I could tempt you out of retirement for my project last year. Yeah, well, we worked together, and that really just kind of got me excited about working again. So I really appreciate that. I have that, that effect um, on people. But now, yeah, now I bring this new center, different perspective, really to everything. Right. And the little thing that would trigger me before – um, when I was approaching burnout, oh. like it just doesn't bother me because, you know, I'm not going to say I don't get my feathers ruffled once in a while, but it's just not the same. 
you know, I used to think that the spinoff from Satara, I mean, to become Satara was my biggest accomplishment. Right. And frankly, it's coming back. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's um, coming back now is the biggest accomplishment. Mm. Sunita Tuteja is head of digital assets at TD Ameritrade, where she is responsible for building support for scalable blockchain and cryptocurrency projects at the custodian. This clip is from Sunina's second appearance on the podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about her, definitely go back and listen to her Winners of Wealth Tech interview from, I believe, late last year. But in this clip, she's encouraging advisors to learn more about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies because these technologies are soon going to be mainstream and your clients are going to be either holding some, asking about buying it, or asking about how they should include them in the portfolio. So advisors need to learn about them. Is TD seeing more advisors investing their clients' portfolios into Bitcoin? I would definitely say that the RIAs are at an interesting inflection point. Uh, Craig, as you know, we host our annual uh, RIA event every year at the end of January, which again seems like an eternity ago. Uh, but at our last Link conference, in partnership with Rick Edelman, uh, who you know and friend of the advisor community, we hosted a full-day education event for the RIAs. And really the goal was to help, you know, to help build awareness and acumen so they can kind of get comfortable with it, have an understanding where they can also serve the needs of their clients. And at one point I asked a room of like, you know, hundreds, thousands of advisors and said, how many of you believe Bitcoin is a fad? And none of the hands went up. And you know, this is not a shy group, right? And I then said, okay, how many of you would have raised your hands a year ago or two years ago? And pretty much all hands went up. And then talking to the advisors, we were really hearing that there's this inflection point where their clients are starting to ask them about it. And they really need to understand. And listen, we're not in the advice giving business, but we do believe that we want to give them credible information and education. And as I say to everybody, it is totally cool to be skeptical. And in, in fact, I encourage skepticism. When I first heard about Bitcoin in 2012, it took me like a good nine months to get my head around it because, you know, you almost have to suspend belief of certain things to, to fully get this. But what I tell people is skepticism is totally kosher. But what is no longer kosher is apathy. You cannot be ignorant about it. You have to lean in. You have to learn because uh, ultimately knowledge is power. And hence, education is an area where we've invested a lot of time and effort to make sure whether you're an active trader, retail investor, or an RIA, that you have access to credible education, good understanding. And then, you know, you can make the best decision you want for yourself and your clients. So can I quote you on that? Bitcoin apathy is no longer kosher. Oh, yeah. I tell people all the time, skepticism is okay. Apathy, not kosher. <laughs> so do you, what's your prediction for wealth management with Bitcoin and other cryptos? So Bitcoin is, the only, is not the only cryptocurrency, right? It's, the, it's clearly the, the largest, but we have lots of other ones like Ethereum, Ripple, uh, Litecoin, you know, Bitcoin Cash, Stellar. What, do you see baskets of crypto becoming more uh, the way advisors will invest, or do you think Bitcoin will still become the primary way? 
Yeah, I mean, and I agree. I mean, we've kind of been focused on Bitcoin, but the universe of uh, digital assets is uh, pretty big and continues to grow. What I would say is there is a bit of that 80-20 rule where if you're just getting into digital assets or, you know, if you already are in digital assets, a lot of people tend to start with Bitcoin or stay with Bitcoin before they kind of get into some of the other coins. So, you know, that's definitely an important focus area for us. I think in terms of wealth management, you know, this is something I actually share a lot with my colleagues and friends that are in the native crypto community, kind of, you know, creating a bridge between traditional wealth management and the, the proliferating space of digital assets is there's actually a lot of resonance uh, in what's happening with digital assets to what's happened in wealth management over the last 40 years. And, 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 you know, and the story I share with them is about Mayday, which you know very well, right? Until Mayday came along on May 1st, 1975, access to capital markets was reserved for a very small group that either had the right connection or a lot of money and capital to gain access, right? May 1st, 1975 came around, the rule change with Mayday completely changed the landscape and disrupted Wall Street. It gave rise to our entire industry, the RIA industry, the discount brokerage industry. So, you know, we're definitely seeing that same resonance and that same ethos, democratizing access, breaking down barriers, uh, and kind of leveling the playing field of bringing Wall Street to Main Street, apply to digital assets. And I recently was on a biography binge and, uh, you know, read Joe Ricketts' biography, The Harder You Work, The Luckier You Get, and Charles Schwab's biography, Invested. And it was amazing. If I had removed the word discount brokerage from their stories, a lot of kind of what they went through in building this industry is actually very similar to what we're going through as we're building up the digital assets industry. So I think we can learn a lot from what wealth, traditional wealth management has been able to build and really accomplish in the last 40 years in terms of, you know, empowering everyday Americans to take charge of their financial future. And I think digital assets is the next step in that legacy. And frankly, a key reason as to why TD Ameritrade is leaning into it, you know, it's driven by client demand. And it's also driven by, you know, our DNA and continuing this legacy of, you know, leveling the playing field for everyday investors in the RIA. And next, and the final clip from this best of part one episode is Ned Phillips from Bamboo. Uh, he's the founder and chief executive officer of Bamboo, excuse me. Uh, and Bamboo's technology enables firms to launch their own robo-advisor platforms. And he's based out in Singapore. Ned started his fintech journey with E-Trade as it became the leading provider of online brokerage services uh, and then bounced around a bit and eventually became a consultant um, where they launched the first robo-advisor in Asia. So I was really interested to talk to Ned and hear uh, his opinion on things. And they spoke about, uh, Ned spoke about the disruption in the APAC market as super apps, uh, things like Grab and, and WeChat and other, uh, other apps are building out tools for the wealth management space and what the impact is. Ha, ah, now that, you see, that's the type, and whether Craig, that was meant to be clickbait to a degree, but the reality is this, I really like that, in that we have seen, so in these last three months in particular, the amount of inquiries coming to us is incredible. Like mm -hmm. people, and again, partly obviously driven by what's happening, but I think in wealth management, 
I mean, you know, and this is not our statement, but it's been said before. If you're standing still in wealth management today, that's, I think that's pretty much it for you. Yeah, you, you need to keep moving. And that's what, what's holding back a lot of, what will hold back firms. And it's, it's, I don't think it's necessarily wealth, just wealth management. It's every industry where you can't sit still. Because every industry yeah. is, is, is using technology way more than they thought they would. And there's more disruptive forces coming that they don't see. If they saw them, they wouldn't be disruptive. And, and this is the, so there's, so in Asia, so we have some companies in Asia that in the US you would have heard of, obviously, uh, Alibaba and Tencent. But out mm -hmm. here we have two super apps called Grab and Gojek, which started like Ubers, but have moved into all types. They're getting into wealth management. Everybody, you know, to me, you know, is it disruptive when one bank launches a robo compared to another bank? I, mm -hmm. You know, it's disruptive a bit. But what, you know, Alibaba has their wealth, their money market tool called Yuobao, which means mm -hmm. leftover treasure, where they swept the cash from the wallet into a money market fund. Quarter of a trillion of AUM, largest money market fund in the world in two years. That is disruptive sweeping yes. miniature amounts from your wallet when you buy a coffee the disruption like to me here's the key point if you're a large asset manager and you don't have a person whose job it is to distribute your funds to a tech company you're already too far down the rung of the innovation stakes it's not just keeping up with your peers your neighbors are building crazy different wealth management tools 24 7 and in asia driven by the super app mentality. That's what, it's helped us a lot. Like being in Singapore, Craig, that's what's helping FinTech here. The super apps are driving everything from wealth tech to e-payments, you, know, you know, whether it's you know, what was blockchain, but just regular, like it, it doesn't even have to be crazy innovative to work. And the take up is in the multi-millions. And I, I think it's great. We're going to take a break from this episode to talk about one of our sponsors, the Invest in Others Foundation. The Invest in Others Foundation is a charitable organization that raises money to recognize advisors who are making a difference by donating their time and money and expertise to causes that matter to them. They share their stories and award funding to different organizations that they care about, they raise awareness, and they encourage others to get involved. Uh, involved channeling additional resources to those in need and demonstrating the generosity of the financial advice industry. Uh, I'm involved with this organization. I'm uh, fortunate enough to be on some of the judging committees that help decide uh, where some of the money goes. And it's really, really tough. I have to tell you, some of these charities uh, are doing some incredible work, uh, both here in the United States and around the world. I would encourage everyone to go to investinothers.org read about what they're doing, look into it, uh, see if maybe you can nominate an advisor you know who's doing some charitable work and make a donation. It all goes to a great cause, the Invest in Others Foundation. Yeah, I've written in the past also that I see wealth management being taken over by apps because apps, the apps like, um, or mobile-based um, wealth tools, whether, and they all come at it a different way. And firms like Acorns, uh, Stash, and Money Lion, you know, they, they see the world differently than traditional wealth management does. And traditional wealth management sees clients as somebody you talk to once a quarter or a couple times a year. And if they're calling you more, that's annoying. 
and why are they doing it? And it's a problem. They're upset. They shouldn't do that. Whereas that's really no business in the world works that way. Uh, every other business in the world says, I want to talk to you more. You're my customer. Tell what, what else can I do for you? What else can yes, I sell you? But Craig, and that's only eight points. But, but the interesting point is this. And so this is our experience, Craig, in how this has happened. When we pitch, when we talk to financial institutions, they have a question. And the question is this, how can technology help me sell more products? When we speak to super apps, they say, how can we keep the customer in our ecosystem? They don't care what products they sell. They're not there to sell products. And here's the thing. How many people wake up every morning and think, I'd like to buy a balanced equity portfolio today? You don't. You wake up and think, I want a better financial life. And Craig, you nailed it. You don't want to speak to your advisor because you think he's going to sell you a product. What you just want is a better financial life. And I think as long as banks keep asking, how can technology help me sell more products? They're building the wrong things. And the super apps, Craig, four years ago, it was my pitch. You need a robo because a super app, a mobile app will sell wealth. And four years ago, everyone laughed at me. They're like, Ned, don't be silly. Today, everybody believes it. Are they, are they adjusting to it? I don't know, but that, you're right. Wealth, advisors will survive and they will flourish but not if, not, if they, not if they ignore what's happening. Hey, it's Craig again. Uh, so there's uh, our, our part one of our best of 2020. We had uh, six really good clips, I thought, from Leaders in the Space, great interviews. Uh, you got the best of those interviews. Feel free to go back to uh, Wealth Management Today, wmtoday.com. You can listen to the, the full interviews with all of these people and learn a lot. And if there's someone we didn't include who you heard earlier and you want them in the next best of, please shoot us an email or shoot our head of digital content coordination, uh, Alana, at Alana at EzraGroupLLC.com. Remember to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll talk to you all next time.